You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in rural contexts and who know the ups and downs, the blessings and the joys of working for God in a small context. And so uh, today I am so excited because we have another book review. Um, From time to time, we like to give you resources beyond our podcast that would be great for you to listen to and learn from as we uh, dive into how to minister well to the rural church. And so there was a recent book uh, published called Church Out Here, and it's actually by a collection of authors, mostly from kind of the Appalachia region or Appalachia. I'm sure I'll get corrected on pronunciation. Uh, But either way, uh, we have a couple of those authors. There was 12 total contributors. They each did a chapter. And there's such a variety of insights ranging from uh, revitalization to discipleship to all these different things. And so today we have an opportunity to talk to Pastor Jim Drake and Pastor Jason Cook, and they're going to give us kind of a one-two punch on uh, revitalization in churches and also um, the idea of what to do when a church gets to a point where it needs to close. And uh, if you're already uncomfortable with that concept, well, then you're going to learn something great today. And so I just want to take a second. And uh, Jason, how are you doing, sir? Good. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah. And Jim, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, I really appreciate getting to be on your podcast and getting to meet you and uh, really look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to walk through these questions and uh, give you both opportunities to share. And so uh, the first thing we always do, though, on this podcast is that uh, we like to hear just a little bit of people's story, right? Uh, we we do claim that we have by rural and for rural, you know, so maybe take a second and we'll start with you, Jim. Uh, maybe take a second and tell us what is your connection to the rural church and where what's your ministry like now? Well, I'm pastor of uh, Parkview Baptist Church here in central Appalachia. I've been pastor here. Well, I, actually, I'll celebrate my ninth anniversary uh, next month. So looking forward to that. Well, of course, we've got a business meeting between now and then. So I hope to sure, sure. Celebrate, the, <laughs> celebrate the ninth anniversary. Central Appalachia, it's, it's, uh, it's a different kind of rural. Uh, I, I get a kick out of the rural church uh, discussion because there's so many different varieties of rural. You have uh, folks in farm communities that, you know, there might be a house every every mile or something like that, but uh, uh, houses are a little bit closer here, but it's very much a small town uh, atmosphere, uh, very stable population, uh, th- those kind of things. Uh, but I've been here for nine years, been uh, in pastoral ministry for uh, 17 years, all of that in a, a small Appalachian rural context. Awesome. And Jason, how about you, sir? Yeah, so I'm also uh, in uh, I'm a few hours away. I'd say probably, depending on how fast a person drives, about three hours away from Jim. Also in Appalachia, uh, in the mountains. Uh, spent a lot. I spent right around 15 years uh, in various pastoral roles in rural ministry. Uh, some of that was in, or all of that was in southern West Virginia, uh, which the ruralness ranges from like the mountain and there's also the coal fields down there. So that's oh, a sure. little context of that. But yeah, so I was a part of a uh, 
a, a local Baptist denomination of uh, United Baptists um, that will, may mean something to some people listening and be friend to others. That's a, a kind of a regional denomination throughout Appalachia has a lot of traditional roots and like primitive and old regular Baptist uh, traditions, you know, going back several hundred years. Um, so, uh, and I'm a member at New Heights now. Uh, so if you uh, read church out here, you'll know that I'm a part of the uh, publishing team, uh, just doing some behind the scenes work and also uh, just a part of the ministry at New Heights where uh, some other authors on the book are. And uh, so, the only thing I want to say specific to our conversation today is uh, I serve. I served as a hospice pastor or a hospice chaplain. I guess both are correct for a church that closed in 2014, and it was the example that I used for the, the my contribution to this book. And uh, spent a lot of time uh, around churches that were near the end of their life and eventually closed. And uh, so I have a real heart for uh, church revitalization, which is, you know, that's where Jim's the expert. And he's going to talk a lot about it, but also have a heart for churches that, uh, that that close as well. Absolutely. And so, yeah, as we dive into the specific subjects today, um, and, and we will have a partner interview uh, that we'll be conducting after this um, with another one of the uh, editor authors, Will Basham and another gentleman named uh, Sam. And so it'll be really great to hear from those guys. Um, but also today, uh, we get to kind of look at this as a one-two punch, you know, because as pastors and leaders in our local churches, uh, one of the first things we got to do is figure out where we're at on this spectrum. You know, um, Pastor Jim is going to talk to us about revitalization. And as Jason described it, you know, you kind of have this idea of hospice care, of what happens when a church gets to a point uh, where it is apparent that this particular um you know, brand of the work of God or this particular moment in church's history uh, might indeed be its last as a local expression. And so, um, so let's, uh, let's start with uh, Jason and and maybe walk us through this. How can a pastor, like, what are the signs? If a pastor is going to look at their congregation or a leader is going to look at their congregation, what would be some of those signs that hospice was kind of the point their church was at, where they needed to stop thinking about, hey, uh, let's replant, you know, do do these things or, or let's let's jump back into this. It's like, hey, let's actually start talking about how to finish well. What would that look like? Sure. So I'm going to some of the things I will mention are a matter of degrees, because sure. I think some of the some of the signs that I would mention would be signs that some, you know, that Jim would say is it are indicators that there's a need for revitalization. You really want to focus on that. Um, and the other uh, uh, thing that I would say at the front is um, I will say there are some signs, but I think the decisions really need to be made with the pastor at the church if there is a pastor at the church. Many times in a church that's very near the end, uh, th there is not a, a stable pastor. There may be somebody helping in, but or, and the remaining members of the church, I think you have to make these decisions uh, in prayer, but also in the wisdom and the uh, the counsel of the people in the community that are, that are there with certainly a place for outside leaders that have expertise and experience in the area. So recognizing the need for hospice care. Generally speaking, I would say the first evidence of it would be that uh, there has been significant efforts towards revitalization. And uh, from a in a physical sense, uh, those efforts were, were not successful. 
I know again, success could be graded on on a on a curve. Sure, sure. lots but, of metrics. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So if a revitalization was not successful, there are some things that may force the imminent or immediate closure of the church. It could be a financial situation. Practically speaking, there's a significant difference between a church of, say, five or six people uh, that meets in somebody's home, maybe a house church. I'm not a, a house church expert by any means, but maybe you have that situation and they can continue to meet. However, if you're five or six people in a building that once seated 600 people and your utilities are 10 times what your expense, what your income is, that's an immediate uh, scenario. So you're looking at standard metrics of attendance and giving on kind of that end of things. But uh, also, it, it may be uh, the demographics of the congregation. There's only a few people left. There's no ability to really to really serve and upkeep and do the work of the church. And uh, again, so these are some metrics, but I think a lot of this for people involved in this situation is there's a real sense that the end is near. And then I will just end briefly, just in case I'm not able to come back to this. You know, the end may be the end of that local expression of the church, but we're looking forward to something else towards uh, towards a, a church replant towards a merger, towards maybe combining the efforts of those members with another church. But, you know, when we're actually talking about what the current expression of the church is, I think that's some of the things you might want to look at when thinking, moving maybe from a mindset of, well, we need to try to do everything we can to revitalize to where we might need to provide some hospice care for the church as a whole, but also pastoral care for the people that are going to be there during those last days, because that's a big concern of mine, the pastoral side as well. True. Well, Jim, let's throw it over to you. Um, and again, you might have some overlap there. You might have your own take, but like, what, what would it look like for a pastor to look at their congregation or a leader and say, Hey, we need to focus on revitalization. You know, again, is it a matter of degrees? Uh, what, what is, how do we recognize the signs of where we're at? Well, that's the that's the biggest challenge with working with uh, churches to help with revitalization. It's it's kind of like the uh, the person with health problems or with addiction problems or, or whatever. The hardest thing is to admit that there's a problem because we all want to look at our churches and and think we're doing okay. Uh, so many times, one of the things I hear over and over and over again is, "Well, if we just had." X, whatever that X is. If we just had a piano player or if we just had uh, a young pastor to bring in the young people or any number of things, and they think that there is some sort of a uh, some sort of a quick fix to the problem that in most cases <clears throat> has been happening for decades. Uh, the decline has uh, in many churches is uh, almost imperceivable until all of a sudden they can't pay the bills or can't pay a pastor or or something like that. The in the in the chapter in the book uh, kind of focused on different areas to really just kind of take a temperature and and see if if a church has become uh, inward focused instead of outward focused. You know, it's it's kind of like a once again a, a, a sick person. If your body goes through some sort of a trauma or some sort of a sickness, the the first thing that your body wants to do is focus all of its uh, all of its resources on itself, 
instead of mm-hmm. being able to do other things. And churches churches do very much the same thing. They begin to turn inward, and uh, of course, that uh, that fails one hundred percent of the time it's ever tried. Uh, but the focus, the the culture of the church, whether it's a self-serving body or whether it's a selfless body, uh, once again, it's the same. It's just another take on the same theme of of what the focus of the church is. You can kind of tell by the leadership of the church. Sure. Uh, if it's you know, of course, the the things that make the headlines are are toxic church leadership, and I'm not sure. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about um, whether it, it uh, unhealthy leadership in a church can take on various different forms, whether it's a, a solo pastor, kind of a dictator type sure. situation, or whether it's a uh, maybe a matriarch or a patriarch in the church or a family in the church that uh, that nothing gets decided in the church without talking to them first. Those are unhealthy, uh, unhealthy kinds of leadership that point to some level of a need for revitalization. And of course, finances, finances are, (laughs) they're a, they're a key indicator uh, all across the board, because if, if a church's finances, if, if you look at the, the budget of a church and almost all of the budget is going toward ministry inside the walls. Mm. That's an unhealthy situation. Or if the finances are, um, if the church is continually fighting over finances, if they're nitpicking, you know, why did you spend so much money on copy paper? this month or you know if there's different nitpicky things instead of just a broad we want to accomplish this is god's money that we want to accomplish the mission with that's a so those are different uh different indicators so many times the only indicators people want to look at is attendance or how much money is is coming in the offering plate Hmm. and either one of those are well just put it mildly they're unreliable sure because there can be some really, really healthy, strong, small churches, or as as in the revitalization world, we like to say normative <laughs> size sure. churches. Well, hey, uh, you know, I want to ask you guys both another question here. What is the primary challenge for the pastor or leader to overcome as they attempt to address the situation? Now, I know, obviously, we touched on it a little bit um, in terms of, you know, sometimes it can be hard to diagnose, but as a pastor or leader engages in the process, of determining whether revitalization is necessary or whether hospice care is necessary. What do you think is the hardest challenge? And uh, Jim, let's start with you. Uh, really, it's just a one-word answer, humility. Uh, it Pastors are notorious for, I don't think necessarily consciously, some do, but I, I think inflating uh, the, the health or inflating the vitality of the church, uh, because we do most of us do inherently want to focus on the positive, but uh, coming at it from a position of humility and a position of service. And I, I don't think I can overemphasize the importance of needing to look outside the walls of the church, because that's really where we only where we get the only true assessment. What, what kind of impact, mm. what kind of gospel impact are we making in uh, to our neighbors and the nations? And, and if we're not doing that, then 
come the questions of why. Uh, we can't get there until we can't get there if we have an inflated sense of uh, of our own effectiveness. Sure, sure. And then Jason, throwing it to you uh, again. Someone's trying to step into this process of hospice care for a church. Uh, what is the biggest barrier to overcome there? Sure. So I'll briefly riff off the humility uh, statement that Jim made because it's uh, just as applicable here. I think. Uh, if you're working with a church that is, is in the process of closing, I think there, there, you have to have some kind of internal mentality shift. So at least how I was uh, raised and trained and brought up, you know, the emphasis is always on, well, we need to grow and we need to do this and we need to do that. But a lot of that mindset uh, is not the consistent, constant, like church growth kind of mindset is not beneficial or pastorally responsible when you're working with a few members of a closing church. I would also say there's kind of two sets of challenges. The one is what will happen with the assets of the church, uh, what will happen with the church's place in the community. Uh, But there's also the real challenge of navigating pastorally the grieving process and Mm -hmm. working and ministering to the people that are there remaining at the church. Um, When you're, uh, you know, we're obviously using the term hospice care. I'm drawing heavily on uh, the medical hospice model and, you know, we're all pastors. So we are familiar with that uh, and what that looks like as a person transfers from like curative approaches in medicine to hospice approaches, uh, perhaps with a terminal illness or, or something else. So we uh, really need to focus on the care for the, the members that are there. There, There is regret. There is a longing for the past. Uh, sometimes there's, uh, you know, it's those, tradi- you know, those uh, kind of traditional stages of grieving. Uh, there can be anger, uh, whether that's over the current situation or maybe people that left the church in the past. Um, there's a lot of work to do with with grieving and then a fear of the unknown and and that is just real true one-on-one uh you know kind of ministry pastoral care work and soul care with the people that are there um it's the biggest need but it's also the biggest challenge because as you all know grief can look so different from individual to individual so that takes sure. a that kind of takes a gentle wise hand to navigate Absolutely. You know, I love what you guys mentioned there, because, uh, again, I mean, it's about awareness and mentality and the understanding of where you're at. And just to even confront those conversations is uh, pretty daunting. Um, I do want to touch on in this next question. So I loved um, and the reason I interviewed you both together is you had a lot of similar thoughts. And when it comes to revitalization, I know that, uh, Jim, uh, you mentioned in your chapter how Oftentimes, revitalization is kind of touted as this word where we took an existing flock and we brought it back to life and we brought the church to a place of health. And yet, I think you made the observation that oftentimes uh, when you look around the room after a quote-unquote revitalization, a lot of the original members, you know, maybe they're older or maybe they've just been around, are actually not there, um, you know, you, you because maybe the pastor came in and was innovative or trendy or experimental and ended up driving away a lot of the original character. And then I think for you as well, Jason, you know, you mentioned uh, how sometimes in this process you ignore the tradition and legacy. 
um, and the long-term impact of a church. And so let's just uh, chat with us. You know, why is it so important to kind of care for the flock as is and not just, you know, not just come in and say, oh, let's let's be experimental or innovative or intense and just kind of blow through what is already here. And so, um, Jim, why don't we start with you? Why don't you elaborate on that? Well, I, th- I think that in the, the I don't know, maybe the early iterations of, of revitalization, uh, that that was really what was touted by the uh, by the smart people, by the folks that were writing books on it at the time and teaching on it at the time was, and this is an oversimplification, but it was basically, well, if if you have a dying church, then you need to go in and completely blow everything up, change the name, uh, bring in a, a hot band, uh, smoke machines and all that kind of stuff and do whatever you need to do to steamroll past the existing members to accomplish whatever you wanted to accomplish. Sure. Growth uh, or whatever you're looking at. Right. Right. So I, I have a deep conviction and a, a many of the folks, at least the folks, the revitalization folks in the circles that I run, run with um, have rejected that there is a place for the starting everything new and all of that with church planting. And I'm excited for that. I used to uh, work regularly with church planters. But the revitalization world is different because God is calling you to an existing church, an existing church family. And those are his sheep. And Hmm. our first challenge in revitalization is to shepherd the flock of God that's among you is what is what the Bible says. Mm. And shepherding the flock that's among you doesn't mean basically being a nursemaid uh, to them. It includes it. The probably the emphasis is to get the existing sheep that you have, the existing flock that you have to be able to lift their eyes and see the field that's white, white unto harvest. So the revitalization begins with the relationship between the the pastor and that flock that he's called to. Now, that's a challenge because most revitalization situations, at least the ones that I'm familiar with and have worked with most, it's a new pastor coming into an existing flock. So the, the biggest challenge is asking that flock to trust you with life altering decisions when that trust hasn't been earned yet. Mm, That's tough. So the best kind of revitalization can happen, I think, where a pastor has been there for a few years and has already has an established relationship with that congregation. And when the pastor becomes revitalized and opens his eyes to the needs and then begins to lead the church into revitalization because he's already earned that trust to be able to do that. But that is, that is extremely rare. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, Jason, let's flip it over to you. Same question, you know, again, in this moment, especially where a church is closing, I think a lot of people could take a route of pointing fingers and they could say, well, here's this stuck in the mud group of people. And, you know, there was a problem here, here, and here, and it and it can start to ignore, you know, the history, the legacy of a church. And so, again, why is it so important to keep that in the mix, to look at the flock as is and not just be tempted to innovate or replant right past them, you know? Sure. Jim said it, the flock of God among you. So 
it is it's extremely important because actually, and, and Peter, I'm also actually Peter said it. Well, okay. sure, sure, sure. So, <laughs> I just copied it. that. My, that Michael Scott quote. I don't know if there's any office people listening, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Wayne probably. Gretzky quote was Michael Scott. So uh, Jim yeah. Drake quoting Peter said it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's the thing too, and I, I'm a pretty those that know me know that I'm a pretty realistic person. Uh, so I, you know, and I, I say what I'm about to say with a real sense of, of realism because I know that in many many situations, if not most, when a church is on the verge of closing, that conflict, infighting has probably been a part of the history of that church. And there's a good chance that some of the people that were at the source of a lot of that conflict are still at the church. Sure. So when I say the church, when you say the church as is, it's not a sentimental notion. I think it's a real sure. commitment of discipline to engage with the people that are, that are there at that church. So, uh, Jim hit a lot of things, uh, hit the nail around the head. I want to add one thing to that, though. I think that, uh, and and this may be a, a generational thing for me. I was still, I was young in ministry. I was in my twenties when internet ministries and blogs and the beginnings of podcasts really sure. started to take off. So that took off during a time that was very formative for me. And the reason why I bring that up is I was looking at online ministries, churches in cities, the influential pastors, maybe churches with attendance sure. of 10,000. And I was thinking, and some of them were good, solid churches, but I was thinking, you know, that's how church should be. And that's how my church right. should be. Even though I was in a very rural context, it wasn't until years later and with some you know, people wiser than me that helped me to, to sort and disentangle all that. But I think that's important. Sometimes we have an I, anyways, had an idea of what church should be from a totally different area, totally different context, and tried to project that on the church that was in front of me. So not only does that keep you from shepherding the flock of God among you, but it also really sows a sense of uh, it sows a sense of otherness. Like you think that you should not be satisfied with the congregation, the people that you have, and it makes gratitude very difficult as well. Gratitude for where God has placed you, gratitude for your place, and gratitude uh, for the people. So I think that maybe specifically, and I'll, and I'll finish with this thought specifically to a congregation that is very near the end. There are all kinds of temptations to, as you said, to point the finger somewhere else, to try some miracle cure. Um, you know, sadly, there are even there are people in this world that would see a a church that's in a very weak and vulnerable position and try to roll in and take advantage of that. So I think that being grounded in the people and the situation in front of you and listening to the, to what the Lord is calling you to do right there in that moment, in that place, without the external pressures you know, of the world saying you should do this or do that, I think is very important. One thing I, I just want to piggyback on that is it's so easy, uh, especially as the, the new pastor coming into that situation, whether you've been brought in just recently or whatever. 
it's so easy to join in those who would point the fingers at mm. whatever the situation was. Uh, my current context, I well, actually seems like my whole pastoral ministry. I followed, <laughs> I've followed the church split. Come in after that, and and man, there's there's all the the dynamics of people that are angry and people that are hurt, and then. In our small towns, there's all the talk that goes on in the communities and, and all that. And it's so easy to pick a side and to uh, to do that. But um, that's not what God's called us to do. If we're shepherding the flock of God that's among us, then we're not focusing on the folks that and the situations that happened in the past, other than to call for repentance where repentance is sure. necessary sure. and to help with healing as healing's necessary. But engaging in the fights, nah, that's that doesn't help. Sure. Well, uh, let's uh let's wind up this interview with uh what I think is just a really important question. Cause obviously whether a pastor or leader finds themselves needing to engage in revitalization or whether it really is that point where you say, hey, it's time to switch mentalities and kind of move to a hospice mindset and how to help a church finish well. These are both really hard things. Like like it would be no matter what, it's just a difficult thing to do. And so what I really want to take a second and have each of you highlight is maybe a bit of the why. And, and so Jason, let's start with you, but but if a church finishes well, which of course we quote unquote, you know, we never want that. We want to see thriving local congregations, but if it gets to that point and a church finishes well, what what is the blessing there? Like why is it so important to help a church get to that point? What can come from that? Sure. I think it's providential. So I mentioned in, in, in the chapter that I contributed to the book, at the time that I was walking through the congregation that was able to finish well, um, same denominational tradition, but it, in a whole other place, there was another church that was also nearing the end of their life. Both churches closed within a month of each other in 2014. So I was able to be involved in one and watch the other. The other church, very, very sadly, I don't think they finished well. They were in denial that they were going to close. And the last week that there was not any kind of, uh, of, of godly or wise leadership. And their final weeks were filled with fighting, pointing the finger, blame, like a false hope that something was going to happen. There were different external pressures. And the last, the last service that that church held, it's an abandoned, I could take you to it. If you're in West Virginia with me, the last, that building is abandoned now overgrown with weeds. Uh, It's been almost a decade later. uh, So sadly, you know, uh, many, uh, many of the things the church did may be forgotten in the community. The last service that that church held, the people that were there didn't know it was the last service, and it was announced day of, and there was a lot of yelling, there was tears, and a lot of hurt. So they wow. they were not given the opportunity to finish well. The church, uh, the 18th Street that we mentioned here, uh, so here's where the blessing comes in. Uh, I was able to spend... Um, during the active phase of, of closing the church, we had established a relationship before, because as Jim mentioned, that's so important to have that relational connection. But during those last right. few months, I was able to work through some of the grieving with the church, along with other people that helped me. 
and we were able to make plans for what the remaining assets of the church would be used for. And uh, that went to a variety of causes, to the denomination, to a youth camp. A significant portion of the remaining assets went to a youth camp that everybody oh, cool. there, the, the members there, they were all in their late 70s and 80s at that time, but they all grew up at this youth camp. So once the uh, prospect of their grieving, being able to go into something beautiful was presented, that gave them a real sense of purpose and a real sense of hope. And what we were also able to do, and this was just one thing, but it was so important. We were able to hold, I'll, I'll, I'll call it this, it was the final service at the church, and it was both a funeral and a celebration of the life of the church. It was announced mm, and people that had moved away, because many people had moved away, moved out of state. That's that's a dynamic I'm sure every person in a rural area listening to this can yeah. identify with. Uh, people were able to come together. There, there was crying, but it was the crying and the mourning of friends coming together to mourn something that was beautiful. And then there was also a real celebration of the life and the history of the church and you know, for uh, I, I would be the first to say that an unhealthy fixation on the past can really be a barrier uh, to revitalizing or moving into the future. But when we reached this, the point that we were, we were really able to celebrate with those 70, 80 year old brothers and sisters, the, the legacy and the history of their church. And I get into some of the specifics of that in the chapter because they're so important because they're so meaningful. But we were able to both mourn the passing of the church, celebrate that, and then the opportunity. And this is the thing I'll end with because I really it's about the souls of the brothers and sisters that were there. We were able to spend time with each of them and connect them to another church to where they continue mm. to be a part of that ministry and be faithful to the church. And some have passed on now. I'd keep up as much as possible. Uh, some have passed on. All seven or eight were able to successfully plug into another church and be welcomed nice. and part of that flock there. So I would say, especially contrasting it with the other church that I saw close during the same time, that those were those were some of the blessings of finishing well. Nice. And uh, Jim, throwing it over to you too. Um, you know, you mentioned that that sometimes these churches show up revitalized again, quote unquote, and there's nothing of that original character, that original heart. And so when a revitalization process goes well and you get kind of the existing people as much as possible coming along to a new place of health, uh, what's the major blessing there? Why, why, why undertake such a uh, tough work? Well, <clears throat> bottom line, it's all about the name and fame of Christ. So whether you're talking about a church that um, is going to die well or whether a church is going to uh, come to a new measure of health, it's it's all about the name of Christ in that community. Because whether we want to admit it or not, there is a lost and dying world all around us that is watching. And they hear the conversation, especially, I think, I say especially because that's the context I'm familiar with, but in our rural uh, areas, our small town areas, everybody knows somebody. And the when a church is is sick, when a church is fighting, when a church is dying, uh, that word permeates the community. 
and uh, I'm stealing the words of uh, of a, a hero of mine, Mark Clifton, uh, who is is doing some of the best work in revitalization uh, that I know of. Of course, it's okay to steal it from him because I think he stole it from uh, Richard Black- Blackaby. But yeah, quote Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, actually. Right. So. right. <laughs> He's, he said that, uh, or he says that there's nothing about a dying church that brings uh, glory to Christ. Mm. Uh, and I think in most cases that's true. There, there are some churches that, because of, of all kinds of different things, it's probably the angels rejoice when they close. But for the vast majority <laughs> of them, it tarnishes the name of Christ in the community. Mm. And we serve a Lord, we serve a God who rose from the dead. So if a community is able to see a church metaphorically rise from the dead, then what a witness that is to the community. Mm, what a witness that. that is to the world that's watching. So uh, is it hard work? Uh, that, I don't think there's any ministry task that's easy. So it, are the difficulties unique? Yes. That's one of the reasons that I emphasize the desperate need for partnership. Uh, we, you know, whatever your tribe, whatever your denominational background is, uh, most uh, good denominations have partners that you can lean on, that you can work with. And there's more material out there now and more support out there for revitalization than, than I can ever remember. So in those kind of situations, we have to, we have to help each other through those difficulties, but it is everlasting worth it. You know, not, not every church that engages in a revitalization process is going to be successful in it. That's why there's a desperate need for what Jason talks about. Uh, that right. that those churches would be able to die well, and they would be able to li- leave a Christ-like legacy behind. But either way, requires partnership together, and ultimately, it's worth it, no matter what the cost, no matter what the what the temporary hardship or whatever. It is but a light, momentary affliction. To steal another quote, hmm. I love that. Well, gentlemen, I uh, do want to say thank you. Um, you know, thank you, Jason, and thank you, Jim, for both being on the podcast today. I super appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, hey, uh, if you're looking, you know, for more insights from these two wonderful gentlemen and leaders in their churches, if you're looking for insights from uh, the rural church in general, um, you're going to want to get a copy of the book Church Out Here. Uh, and in a very wider sense, um, you know, there's there's this comes out of a of a group called Rural Church Voices, and I and I've already become familiarized with the mission of this group, and their goal really is to continue to put out good resources, resources that speak, uh, just like we always talk about, that speak right to the context of where we're at in the rural church, and so. Um, both those links to uh, both the Rural Church Voices and this book, uh, Church Out Here, will be in the show notes. Um, but join us next week as we continue the conversation with two more of the authors and contributors, and uh, we're excited. So once again, from all of us at Rural Advancement, uh, we hope that you've been encouraged and informed. I have been your host, Joe Epley. They have been Jason Cook and Jim Drake, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.